Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. You can also follow me by pushing the little follow button, and you will get an announcement for each show on a weekly basis. I will also open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can call in and ask a question or make a comment. Following the show, please continue this discussion on the Afrogenius.com and Research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. Well, in fact, please like my page and join my Facebook group. You have heard many family stories on my show, and tonight's show will focus on the Washingtons of Wessington Plantation, stories of my family's journey to freedom. I'm so happy to welcome the guests genealogy expert John F. Baker, Jr. You know, he was born in 1962 in Springfield, Tennessee, and has lived his entire life just a few miles from Wessington Plantation in a town populated by hundreds of descendants of its slaves. The plantation was founded in 1796 by Joseph Washington, a distant cousin of President Washington. So let me give a warm welcome to John F. Baker, Jr. to research at the National Archives and beyond. John, welcome. Thank you, Bernice. I am so glad Um, to have you. Well, why don't you tell us about the cover of your book? Okay, the cover of my book is actually the photograph that led me on my research um, more than 30 years ago when I was in the seventh grade. Um, At that time, we used a social studies textbook called Your Tennessee, and there was a photograph of uh, four former slaves in it, only entitled Black Tennesseans. But for some reason, I was drawn to this photograph, and each time I would go to class, I would look at it thinking perhaps the individuals that in the photograph I had seen before or somebody related to them, but I had no idea that I was actually looking at my own great-great-grandparents at the time. So when we got out for summer vacation, uh, it was the plantation's 150th anniversary or so, so they had a photograph of the White Washington family that owned the plantation, and they also had the same photograph that was in my seventh grade social studies book. This time their names were listed. My Mm -hmm. uh, grandmother happened to be visiting us from Chicago at the time, and uh, she spent the weekend with one of her older brothers. And at the conclusion of her visit, she called my mother and told her to have me to bring a camera out there because she had something that she wanted me to copy. And I asked my mother, I said, "What, what did she want me to copy? And she said, well, just do like she says, and you'll see when you get there. So when I got there, my grandmother showed me the newspaper article, and I couldn't believe it. And I said, Grandmother, I said, that photograph is in our social studies textbook. 
and she pointed to the seated couple, and she told me that uh, the man seated was her grandfather, Emanuel Washington, and he had been the cook on the Washington Plantation, which everyone refers to it as the Washington Farm, but its official name is Wessington. And her great great mm-hmm. and her grandmother had been the uh, head laundress there, and my grandmother was excited as well because um, she was the youngest child in her family, and they had passed away before she was old enough to remember them. And so um, her brother, who knew them personally, told me that the white Washington descendants still lived at Wessington, and to contact them because the plantation was pretty much intact as it was from the Civil War. So I called out there the very next morning, all excited, and I spoke to. And Consolvin Tabba, who was a, a direct descendant of Joseph Washington, who founded the plantation in 1796. And I told her that I had seen the newspaper article in the newspaper and was interested in my family's history there. And she said, well, everyone knows who your great-great-grandfather was because we still have his portrait in our living room. And the Washington family had commissioned the famous artist Maria Howard Whedon to paint his portrait uh, in the late 1800s. And um, she also, at that time, ran a bookstore that was not too far from my house, so she agreed to meet me there. And she brought um, about 10 to 12 legal-sized documents which recorded the births of the slaves on the plantation from 1795 to 1860. So from that document, I was able to find my great-great-grandfather and mother's exact ages as well as some of our earlier ancestors. So after that visit, she invited me to come out to Wessington. And um, when I was a small child, five or six years old, my uh, maternal grandfather took me for a ride in the country nearly every Sunday. And we would pass the entrance gate to Wessington, and he would slow down the stop and point, and he would say, that's Washington, that's where your grandmother's family came from. Why well, I'd always known my grandmother was a Washington, but it didn't really, you know, it wasn't, it didn't really click what he meant. And so mm-hmm. when I was 14, when I started the research, Miss Talbot invited me out to Wessington, and I had to have my mother to drive me out there. And so immediately, as soon as I got to the gate, it all clicked what my grandfather really was saying, that my family's history went back some 200 years there. And the uh, plantation was pretty much how it looked uh, shortly after the Civil War. Uh, Miss Talbot took me to the slave cemetery on the plantation where my great-great-grandfather and mother were buried and some of our earlier ancestors. Uh, she also told me that their family, deposited all their plantation records and correspondence in the Tennessee State Library and Archives in Nashville in the 1960s. And this is um, on 69 rolls of microfilm now, and it's over 11,000 actual documents. And so, wow, um, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Hold it. Hold it now. I have to stop okay. you for a second. <laughs> You're going really <laughs> fast. Okay, so 11,000. You said 11,000 yes. documents are deposited. Yes. But you also said you visited the plantation. So tell us about the plantation. How, what was on the plantation since you've seen it? Okay, the mansion or the big house, as it's called, it was started in 1815, and it was completely built by the slaves. It was uh, completed in 1819. There were also about 10 or 12 uh, former slave cabins still there. Uh, in 1860, there were 40 such cabins, which housed 274 enslaved African Americans, which was at that time the largest slave population in the state of Tennessee. Uh, the plantation in one uh, continuous farm was over 13,000 acres, and in 1860, it was the largest producer of dark fire tobacco uh, in America and the second largest producer in the world. And uh, the slave cabins were there, the slave cemetery, there's also um, a cemetery of the White Washington family, which is close to the main house. And there were a couple of other barns and other buildings that dated back Mm -hmm. to the Civil War period. Mm -hmm. Now, somewhere I read that now this was a pretty much self-contained plantation where a lot of uh, things took place right there on the plantation. They didn't have to... Uh, go out uh, side of the plantation. So why don't you tell us what what was actually on the plantation in addition to the slave dwellings in the mansion? Okay, there were many barns for the animals, of course. They had a large operation where they produced whiskey from their surplus corn on the plantation. Um, Washington hams were produced on the plantation. They had thousands of hogs there. 
and Washington hams could be found on the menus of the most uh, exquisite restaurants as far south as New Orleans and as far north as Philadelphia. So they did that. Uh, they produced other crops uh, in addition to tobacco, which supported uh, the slave population in the Washington family. They also sold some of these products to their neighbors, and then they shipped the other produce down south by uh, by boat to New Orleans, and then it was sold in the Washington uh, products were said to be the best in the country, so everyone would flock to these sales when the tobacco and other products were sold down there. Mm-hmm. So it was a, in, pretty much a world to its own, like a city to itself. Yes, it sounds like it was a city to itself. So how long did it take you to trace the genealogy of your family as well as uh, some of the other families? Well, what I did when uh, I met Miss Talbot, she told me a number of uh, people who were at that time in their 80s, 90s, some even over 100. And I was very fortunate that when I started this, there was, I guess, 20 to 25 individuals that ranged from 80 to 107 years old who were children or grandchildren of the former slaves. So I interviewed them, and then even outside my family, when they would tell me these stories, I became so interested in their family's history at Westington as I did my own. I ended up tracing everyone's family history. So over a 30-year time span, I traced every single family that came from the plantation, not just my own family. Oh, my goodness. So there's a question coming out of the chat from Family Tree Girl. At what point did you understand the meaning of your family being slaves on that plantation? Oh, immediately I, I knew what that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's something you, I guess you grow up with uh, living in the South and, and hearing older people talk about their parents. So I, I was always aware of that. Yes, yes. So you uh, you said you traced the history not only of your family but the other other family members. So why don't you give us an idea of some of the documents that you were able to uncover to help you get a good idea of what life was like on the plantation. Okay. For uh, for one, in the collection, there is about 50 slave bills of sale. And so I was able to, from these slave bills of sale, track where they came from before they got to Westington, and I was able to use public records as far as deeds, wills, um, court cases to even get further back before they got to Westington. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of correspondence in the Washington family papers. Um, Joseph Washington, who was the founder, had a son, George Augustine Washington, and he pretty much managed the plantation when Joseph was older, and he traveled extensively. And when he traveled, his wife, his father, his mother, and the plantation overseer would write him letters, what's going on on the plantation, uh, which slave had a child, who ran away, who died. Uh, there was even a mention when the uh, Cherokees came through with the Cherokee removals that they came up to the plantation house to get food and water before they were driven out to the reservations. Um, especially during the Civil War, there's a lot of correspondence, so much so that I feel like I know some of these individuals personally. And, I bet um, you do, a lot of yes. Them, yeah, I feel like I do. And um, <laughs> I could... Um, interview some of the children or grandchildren and, and they uh, told stories that were supported by the documentation so I was very fortunate to be able to back up uh, most everything that I was told through oral tradition um, the whitewashing the descendants I've interviewed them as well and they are, they're telling the same stories that the African American descendants from the plantation tell as well and some of the slave families left Westington after the Civil War and they're spread throughout the United States and I've interviewed their descendants who had have not had contact with one another since they left, and they're all telling the same stories, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, did anyone work with you um, to conduct the research on the Westington slaves? Uh, no, I did uh, all the research myself. All of the research yourself. Now, you yes. you said something earlier. You you mentioned something about the Indians. And why don't you tell us uh, a little bit more about what you were were, were saying about the, the Indians and the documentation that you've uncovered about the Indians. 
Well, there was a brief mention in the letter. Uh, George A. Washington was in Nashville uh, in the 1830s, and he wrote his mother that he saw an Indian agent with about 100 Native Americans, and he told her that about 13 groups would be coming there near the plantation, and he instructed his mother to tell the plantation overseer to get with one of the federal agents so that they could sell them supplies from their store. And it had been passed down through tradition in the white Washington family and among the African Americans that over 100 Indians came up to get food and water before they went through there, and they went uh, from the plantation area to Kentucky. They spent the winter of 1838 and nine there, and then they were driven out on the reservations. Mm-hmm. And you actually found the documentation where yes. that was mentioned. Yes. That is amazing. That's amazing. Well, why don't you give us a little bit more information about some of the, the families and some examples of what you found out about the families. How did the, the Washingtons acquire the slaves? Okay, uh, Joseph Washington came to Robertson County, Tennessee, where the plantation is, in 1796. He brought uh, slaves with him. Um, he bought the first family that can be traced to direct descendants is my family, my great-great-great-grandmother. As a small child of 10 years old, her name was Jenny. She came from uh, Sussex County, Virginia, which was a neighboring county where Mr. Washington was from. And he bought um, her and her sister to uh, Westington. Then uh, he inherited other slaves when his father passed away, and he would go back to Virginia and get them and bring them out. Uh, a couple of his brothers passed away who uh, died young, who had not married. They had slaves, so he brought some of those. And uh, some of his neighbors in Virginia, he also purchased slaves from them. This is during the early period. Then later, mm-hmm. after he was settled here in Robertson County, he purchased some slaves in Kentucky and some from his neighbors here in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Now, I noticed that you had a... Um a document of which um, it involved the purchasing or trying to make a decision about purchasing slaves from uh, the plantation manager, Benjamin Sims. Why don't you tell everyone what uh, Benjamin Sims uh, stated or said in one of his correspondence? Okay, Benjamin Sims was the plantation overseer, and uh, this was in the 1830s. And during that time, Mr. Washington was in uh, Maryland and Virginia, and he had gone to um, auctions where they were selling slaves. And um, Mr. Sims wrote him a letter stating that a family of slaves, a husband and wife, um, Aaron and Betty Gardner and their three sons, George Jackson and Daniel, um, their owner had passed away, and so they were for sale, and he told him that he purchased the whole family for $2,170. And so... um, and uh, one of their great-grandsons attended church with me when I was a little boy, and he told me that the Washingtons had purchased the gardeners, and they always retained the gardener surname. And here in our county now, there are more African-Americans carrying the gardener surname than any other family. Is that right? So those are the direct descendants of the gardener slaves in that right, in your county? Right, direct descendants, yes. And so why didn't they change their name? Washington. Well, for the for the connection to, um, they were probably separated from some of their family, and their family had been with the Gardner family, you know, for many years. And not all the slaves on Washington um, took the Washington surname. Uh, mostly okay. the families that had been there the longest used the Washington surname. Those that came later used Gardner, Terry, Cheatham, Lewis, and, and Scott, and Green, and, and some and many others. Could you say those surnames again, Gardner? Okay. There was Gardner, Terry, mm-hmm. Lewis, Scott, Green, Cheatham, and Blow. So with you naming, you've given us these surnames, and the reason I've asked you to share this is because you actually have documentation on all of those families. Is that correct? Yes, I do. That That is correct. And so with your book, provide individuals some insight into those various families? Yes, uh, in the index of my book, uh, every mention of uh, each slave is indexed uh, that's in the correspondence or in the book. But I have more detailed records. I created a database where I document or profile each slave from the plantation, and I have, I think, around 450 of them. 
So oh, if there's wow. a descendant out there, I, I would gladly share any information with them. Okay, descendants, if you need information, you know who to contact. Now, there's a question coming out of the chat. Are any of these slaves or owners lined mentioned in any chancery court lawsuits? Uh, no, they're not. Okay. And so, yeah. And although I know the answer to this question, and questioner, I will hold off, but there's a question about DNA, but we'll talk about the DNA uh, a little later. Well, why don't you take us through some of the uh, areas that you mentioned in your book? Let's start with by the sweat of their brows. What can you tell us about uh, this particular chapter? Okay, it tells about the type of labor that the slaves actually did on the plantation. Uh, The women on the plantation were not required to do any hard outside work if they had a child that was under two years old. If uh, they had any children that were over two, there was a nursery on the plantation where the women that were too old to work tended to them. The women did uh, light work in the gardens. They did uh, spinning of cloth. There was um, a small amount of cotton raised on the plantation solely for clothing. It was never uh, produced commercially. Uh, The men on the plantation primarily worked in the production of tobacco, uh, other crops, uh, they were there were stonemasons, there were carpenters, uh, blacksmiths, um, just the gamut of everything that would need uh, be needed to keep a plantation operating. Mm-hmm. Not all of them were field hands. There were some that were field hands, but some of them were skilled artisans. Yes, yes, it, it sounds like that. Well, John, you already have a question coming. And so I'm going to, uh, it's coming online, and so area code 972, do you have a question or a comment of uh, John? Yeah, hi, Bernice. Um, Hello. This is really really a fascinating story, Um, and it's it's so amazing that that those records exist and you were so close to it, John, and able able to do the research and write your book. One question I had was about did any of the 11,000 pieces of paper, um, were, were there any people who were emancipated uh, by the plantation owners uh, prior to uh, the emancipation? Emancipation Proclamation. No, there were no slaves that were emancipated. Wow. And would you please ask your question again? Um, you, you were cut off. Yes. Oh, oh, sorry. I was asking whether or not anyone, any slave on the plantation had been emancipated prior to uh, the 1865 Emancipation Proclamation by President Lincoln. No there, were no, no, there were no slaves on the plantation that were emancipated prior to that. Wow. And in in later years, did your family acquire any of the property or any kind of resources? Uh, no. My great-great-grandfather was the cook. Uh, there on the plantation, and after emancipation, um, he came back and he worked for the Washington family for $125 per year as the cook. Wow. But uh, he didn't do any type of farming. Right. And were you able, this is my last question, were you able through these records to get a sense at all of um, of how the uh, slave population, your family, or the many families that you research were were treated on that plantation. I, I mean, what was your emotional response to all of this? And did the paperwork uncover any any of of that? And and I'm going to uh, hang up. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, uh, my uh, grandmother and some of her brothers and sisters. Maintained that my great great grandfather Emmanuel Washington, who, who was the cook there, that uh, he was very close to the Washington family, and there are many portraits of him, many photographs. I've interviewed um, the Washingtons had the Westington plantation, which was thirteen thousand one hundred acres and one continuous farm. They also had a farm in Kentucky that was twelve hundred fifty acres, and on this farm, most of the men were from 
15 to about 35 years old. And um, there was an overseer there, so they were all along with this overseer. So on that particular farm, uh, there were a lot of instances where um, some of the slaves would get into it with the overseer. He would threaten to whip some of them. They would uh, also attack him back. So um, I also interviewed some of the children and grandchildren of some of those slaves who said that they knew some of their grandparents personally and they had actually seen whip marks on their backs from uh, when they were whipped for running away or uh, fighting overseas or so forth. So uh, there were varying stories from, you know, different families uh, about their treatment there. So it was not like everyone was treated like one way. There were various stories uh, from various descendants. Right. Now, there's some questions coming out of the chat, and I'm just going to ask some of you uh, just to clarify. Is it safe to say okay. that most of the Westington slaves originated in Virginia? No. Um, the earliest slaves um, from 1796 to about 1813, the majority of them came from Virginia. And then after Mr. Washington was settled here, most of the slaves thereafter came from uh, the majority from Tennessee and uh, some from Kentucky. Okay. And then were any family members, to your knowledge, separated or sold away? Okay. Uh, from 1795, seven, I'm sorry, 1796 to 1865, the Washingtons only sold uh, two slaves. One slave named Davy, who continuously ran away, was sold in 1854, and another slave named Henry was sold in the 1830s. So they were the only two from the plantation that was sold over what, a 65-year period. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to take well, a break and come back, but let me just tell you what the next question is going to be when we come back. How did freedom come okay. to the Westington slaves? But we're going to okay. also talk about what, what happened during the uh, Civil War. Okay. <laughs> Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. Also, all of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. You can also find the archive shows on my website, JeannieBRoots.com. Now, we're going to go back to the question that was posted in the chat room, and the, the big question is, well, when did freedom come? What was it like uh, for the Westington slaves. Okay, the, emancip the Emancipation Proclamation did not free slaves in Tennessee because they were still a part of the Union at that time. Slaves were actually freed in uh, Tennessee in February of 1865. Uh, many of the slaves, uh, when they heard about uh, the war, many of them ran away. Some of them went to Nashville, some of them went out west, some went up up north. So it was a very turbulent time for them. Some of the slaves that were born on Westington, Westington was so large that some of them had never left the grounds in their entire lives. So you can only imagine mm. how excited they were to be freed and, and leave the plantation. So uh, when some of them went to Nashville, uh, they were told by um, 
the Freedmen's Bureau or um, Union soldiers, the plantation was going to be divided, and they would get 40 acres and a mule. So some of them would come back to the plantation, and they would get in, into skirmishes with the owners. Um, after emancipation, some of them went to Nashville permanently, and then they scattered you know, throughout the country. Some of the men on the plantation actually uh, enlisted in the Union Army to fight for their freedom. And some of them, after uh, they got out of the Army, some went out west, some also remained in the general area. And uh, I've interviewed some of their direct descendants as well. Um, mm-hmm. After emancipation, some of the slaves came back to Westington and worked as sharecroppers. And some people asked, well, why did they come back to the place that they had been enslaved? Well, Mr. Washington uh, invested heavily in stocks and bonds, and he was a great businessman. So he was even wealthier after emancipation than he was before, even considering the loss of all the slaves. So the slaves or the former slaves knew that he was financially able to pay them. A lot of the surrounding farmers lost basically everything they had. Some of the former slaves worked for some of these people for a year or two, and then when it came time to get paid, uh, these people were not able to pay them. So then some of them went back to Westington. Some of the slaves that had uh, formerly been there at Westington purchased land, several hundred acres that had once been part of the plantation that they had been enslaved on, which was a great accomplishment. Um, some of, the, of their direct descendants still own some of this property today. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them became educators. Uh, some of them started their own businesses. And uh, many of their descendants are still around today. Well, what about area. the schools? Yeah, I mean, so so the Washingtons were financially able to pay the pay the former slaves. So did they return because they knew that they would get paid? But did they? What about right. housing and and schools and just tell us what was going on at that time? Okay, uh, after some of the slaves left, the Washingtons got white sharecroppers and other African Americans and brought them to the plantation. And then some of the former slaves that returned, they lived in the former slave cabins that were still on the place. Um, the slaves established the Antioch Baptist Church in 1869, which is close to the plantation. They also used uh, the church as a school. And parents had to pay $1 per month per child to have their children educated, which was a big sacrifice considering they were only making like 50 cents a day. And mm-hmm. I found that some of the former slaves went to school to learn to read and write when they were 40, 50 years old because this was forbidden by law before then. Sure, um, yes. They yes. also, uh, there was in the Washington correspondence a letter from Jane Washington. She was writing her son, who was at Georgetown College, that every male on the plantation that was 21 and older, which you had to be 21 to vote in those days, were registered voters. And she said that they went to the Antioch Baptist Church for a meeting of them and some of the other former slaves to determine who they were going to vote for when they were first given voting rights. Mm-hmm. Wow. So they were that very progressive-minded. Yes, it sounds like that. They were. They definitely were. Now, uh there's, there's a question coming out. On the grounds of Westington and also up on the hill near the big house, there's a grate that you have to drive over and cannot walk on. What is that grate? This grate is to stop cattle from coming close to the front yard. Okay. That's what that's for. Mm-hmm. So that's the current owner. Obviously, someone in there. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, a mm-hmm. number of people came there in October. I took about 70 uh, people. There was a uh, African-American genealogical conference in Nashville, and there was about 65 or 70 people that came out to, toward Westington. Yes. Now, I want to go back to your comment about uh, some of the uh, slaves actually joined the Union Army. Why don't you tell yes. us about the uh, presence of uh, Army people on the plantation of what what was it like during that time and what kind of documentation did you find concerning the uh, individuals who may have been a part of the United States colored troops? Okay. Uh, the Union Army came through uh, our county. Uh, there was a regiment of white troops from the north. There was also a regiment of African-American troops made up of men from the north and uh, local African-American men. So there were two groups here in our county. 
and they were conscripting men to work on the military fortifications uh, in Nashville. And there was a letter in the Washington Family Papers where the mistress of the plantation writes her husband one day that Union soldiers came, and they took 24 men and boys from the plantation, and she lists their names. And then there's another list of all the slaves from the plantation that enlisted in the Union Army and what outfit they were listed in. Also, I have gotten these men's pension applications, and so I was able to get uh, genealogical information from that. Wow. This this documentation is amazing. And now tell us again, how long did it take you to gather all of this information? Well, I was uh, gathering this information over a third period. Say that once again, over a what? A 30-year period. A 30-year period. On all the families, yes. And some people ask me, so you mean it takes 30 years to trace your family tree? And I say, no, I trace, you know, the family trees of 300 people. So that's why it took so long. And I'm so very you meticulous trace the community. Yes. Right. Which is absolutely, yes, yes. So you really trace the, the, the whole history. So why don't you go on to tell us more uh, about the chapter in their own words. What can you tell us you found in the words in of the people words. who were enslaved? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, many children and grandchildren of former slaves would uh sit down and tell me stories about their lives. Uh, I went to Greater South Baptist Church as a child, and there was probably seven or eight individuals who were children or grandchildren of former slaves. So between church services, I would gather around all these people, and they would take turns telling me stories about their families there. And one of the first people I interviewed was Maddie Terry, and she passed away when she was 93 years old. Her great-grandmother lived to be 104 years old, and she was born at Westington in 1810. Her name was Sarah Cheetah. And she told Mrs. Terry that when she was a child, she and some of the other slave children on the plantation went to the stream that goes through Westington, and they collected clay, brought it up on the hill where Westington now stands, and she said the adults molded and made the bricks and built the big house. And she said they must have known what they were doing because the house is still standing. And she said her great-grandmother could still thread a needle without the use of glasses at 104 and still chop her own firewood. So there were many stories that they shared with me. Uh, uh, Sam Gardner, um, he was 98 when he passed away, and he told me that um, his grandfather, Daniel Gardner, had been enslaved at Westington, and he told about uh, him running away several times. And I was able to find documentation uh, from that, and he was telling me that the Washingtons purchased the Gardner family, and I was able to find an 1839 slave bill of sale that listed um, the mother, father, and the three sons from the estate of Henry Gardner. And where did you find the bill of sale? This was also in the Washington family collection, and among these 11,000 documents. In the Washington family uh, family papers. Yeah. So yeah. you mentioned something about uh, runaways, and there's a question, two questions coming out of the chat. First of all, why did they have many runaways, or if they did, how many were they? And were there conflicts with the overseers? Okay, um, there was not, I guess, a large number of runaways that documented uh, according to the population. Maybe there was 15 of them that ran away uh, in all. And so all of them that ran away did not necessarily run away to try to make it to freedom. Uh, they, they ran away to another plantation that was here close by where they had relatives or friends or what have you. Um, there's only a few that actually ran away to, you know, to virtually try to escape. Um, one slave was Davy who ran away four times, and uh, when he was captured, he was uh, eventually sold in New Orleans. And after the Civil War was over, he was separated from his four brothers, when he was sold, and after emancipation, he came back to Westington, found his brothers, and then um, they remained in our county uh, close to the plantation for a number of years, and then they moved to Nashville, and some of their direct descendants uh, are still living there today. Mm-hmm. Well, you have a question coming out of on, online, and that's area code 901. Do you have a question or a comment? I do. 
I have a comp both. I um want to say thank you, John, so much for writing that book. I read it about four years ago. And okay, um, I am Washington by birth. And my question oh, you're Washington? is, okay. yes, I am, and uh, my family is from West Tennessee. However, one of the things that I uh, have always wanted to know was about a Johnny Washington that you wrote about in your book, and uh, my great-great-grandfather's name is Johnny Washington, or John Washington. Mm-hmm. And I have wondered if you know what happened to him because uh, it, that was the one person that I didn't get complete on as to what may have happened to him. Okay, the John Washington that lived at Westington was born about 1820, and he was purchased, I think, in 1838 uh, from Todd County, Kentucky. And after emancipation, um, he remained in Robertson County for a number of years, and after that he moved to Cheatham County, which is an adjoining county, and from there to Davidson County, which is the Nashville area. Okay. And so, you know, just as like you were able to respond to her question and tell her about Johnny, you know, were most of the uh, – Slaves identified by first and last names in the Washington Papers? Uh, slaves that had different surnames. Say, for instance, if there was um, a person named John on the plantation that was born there, then there was mm-hmm. a John coming that the Washingtons purchased from somewhere else and say he was a Smith. They may call him John Smith to keep him on the record differentiated from the John that was born there. In, in oh, one okay. instance, there, there, that's where uh, surnames came mostly, but I, I, I've created a list of all surnames of slaves that's mentioned in correspondence before emancipation, and there's about 15 of them that's listed with surnames, and, and most of those names are Lewis, Gardner, um, Cheatham, um, let's see what's other names, uh, Blow, Green, some of those names, and they're listed. There's a list of men and boys on the plantation in 1838, and there's one in 1856, and it lists some of these slaves with other surnames other than Washington. Mm-hmm. Now, is there a black population that lives near Washington today in Robertson County? Uh, the area close to Washington is a very small farming community. There are uh, some African Americans, there are not a whole lot. But, like, Mm -hmm. I live 10 miles in Springfield from the place, and and there's a lot of African-Americans in Springfield. Wow. And, you know, once again, I'm kind of giving you questions that are coming out of the chat room. And, Chatter, by the way, the phone line is open. If you would like to call in and ask a question, that's 646-200-0491, and just press 1 to speak to the host. Uh, Now, we're back to the whole question about runaways. Were runaways actually mentioned and named in in your book? Yes, no, I've, I've actually created a list called uh, in the chapter "Rebels and Runaways." I have a list yes. of slaves who ran away and or rebelled against the system in various methods. So, well, uh, give us an example of, of what you would say rebelling against the system in various methods. What are you talking about? Okay, there there are some slaves that's listed as attacking the overseer. Uh, some leaving the farm without permission. Um, some going to another plantation and riding uh, another planter's mules or horses at night, like they were doing maybe a rodeo. Some of the men on the plantation. Oh, okay, um, yes. Those type of things. There was one instance where um, the Washingtons purchased a slave named Henry, and he was about 18 years old. And so he was sold, I think, for $750. So uh, this slave, Henry, goes back to his former owner's house and steals part of the money that that he received from selling him in the first place. And so then uh, the former owner sends the sheriff there to search for the money, which he never found. So there are several instances of rebellion against the system. All right, that's very interesting. So we have the individual's names and when it occurred and everything. 
I mean, this documentation, now this is letters and what else, diaries? What else are we you, uh, there you're are, looking there are, at? There are, there are, there's actual receipts from uh, the slave Davy when he was um, when he was captured and jailed. There are fees where um, where he was charged for being in jail for 14 days. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, there was another instance where a guy that captured him wrote Mr. Washington that uh, he thought he should have more money than the reward was for. I think there was a fifty dollar reward, and he thought he should get more than fifty dollars because Mr. Washington was a large slave owner, and he says, well, if Davy would have gotten away, you have a lot of slaves on your plantation, and they no doubt some of the others would have tried to run away as well. So he thought that he should pay him more. I see, I see. Now, when we first uh, when I first started the show, someone wanted to know about DNA, and I said that okay. I would ask you, well, tell us about the DNA and what you uncovered and how many people participated in your DNA uh, testing. Okay, in 2003, I started the Westington DNA Project, and I just approached various individuals who I knew their direct lines and asked them would they want to participate, and all of them willingly uh, participated. And I was able to tell from DNA testing what their African origins were. Also, uh, in the Washington records, there was a birth register from 1795 to 1860, and um, it's extremely rare, but some of the slaves on the plantation were still given true African names since 1858. So Ooh. we could tell by some of the names what tribes they came from or uh, ethnic groups. So that sort of supported the uh, DNA testing as well. The DNA testing. And did you go to one DNA company or several? Several. Okay. I used now, uh, Family Tree by DNA and uh, African Ancestry, Africana uh, Ancestry, Dr. Gates' um, site. So I've used several, not just one. You've used, you've used several. DNA print, you know. now, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now we are we're, we're at a point where people want to know more about the writing process. How did you decide uh, how to organize your book? And once you sat down to write, just describe to us what was going on with you since you had all these eleven thousand documents. How did you organize all of this information? Well. Um... Fortunately, I've got a very good memory, so I, I knew how I wanted to start it with how I found the photograph, and so I tried to keep it in chronological order, and I arranged the letters that mentioned the uh, things that were going on in the plantation in that order. And then I brought in the interviews that backed up some of the documentation, how they, they complement one another, and I was able to interview African-American descendants and also descendants of the White Washington family. So, so did you start with Okay. So you started with did your start with your documentation. You started with your documentation first and then you found the individuals or it was vice versa. You found the individuals first and gathered the oral history and then looked for the documentation to support the oral history. I collected uh the um oral history first because it was more crucial with older people and then most of the time right after they told me a story or whatever I could go to the Washington Family Papers and, and look through the catalog and then find supporting documentation. Okay, and then you found supporting documentation. And as you right. said, it was all and then in chronological. Documentation. Right, and then sometimes um, some things that they didn't know I would, or hadn't told me, I would find documentation, and then I would go and ask them, do they recall anyone ever mentioning it? And they said, oh, yeah, I remember my grandfather saying such and such. So oh, okay. Ways, but I, I collected the oral history first. Mm-hmm. And did you find your recipients, um, the, those who you interviewed, willing to share information? Uh, yes, uh, uh, yes, I did. And uh, a lot of people, when I do um, programs, will say, "Well, my family never talked, you know, about anything in the past." And all of these people, you know, were willing to tell me whatever I asked. So what so did you I, do? I, I mean, how did you get them to start? How did you get them to start talking? I would just go to them and, and tell them I was doing research on Westington, and can they tell me anything about? Because I could tell by their last names, you know, where their family came from. Because 
uh, Robertson County is so small that you pretty much know everyone. And so I would just go to them and ask them, you know, did your family come from Westington? And they said, sure, my grandfather was born a slave at Westington, and his name was such and such. And, and they name off their aunts and uncles and all this stuff. And then I could look at census records and then back that up as well and then get records from the plantation. And then I would share uh-huh. this information with them as well. Oh, okay. So there was a given uh, They had been told take. about this stuff, but that, right. Uh, they had been told about these things, but they had never seen, you know, supporting documentation from it. And so you took that documentation back to them to show them, indeed, what they were telling you was definitely right. found in writing somewhere, which is good because it looked like it was a give right. and take uh, type of endeavor. Right. Now, there's a question about your, um, were were there any interrelated marriages between the children of slaves residing on the plantation? You said intermarriage among uh, slave inter- families? Yes. Mm-hmm. Of slave, how, how do you mean? Clarify what I'm, I'm going. I'm going by the question here. I'm, I'm, I, would, I was just what I'm interpreting is that did you see any of the children of slaves uh, marrying other children of slaves on the plantation? I mean, because oh, they yeah, were not okay. related to each other, right? I mean, they oh, were. Oh yeah. Like, uh, okay, I got you. Okay, uh, my mm-hmm. great great grandfather and mother both were born at Westington. Of course, they they were not related and they married. Yeah, there are several instances. Of that. Uh, some people here in the county, nearly every branch of their family came from Westington. So uh, there, mm-hmm. I, I know one cousin that I have that have about eighteen ancestors that came from Westington. Wow. Oh, wow. And did any owners or masters have any children with their slaves? Uh, According to family tradition, um, in the white Washington family and the African-American families, uh, Granville Washington was fathered by the second owner of the plantation, George A. Washington. Benjamin Sims, the overseer, was said to have children by a slave there as well. He had, I think, Mm -hmm. three children by a slave woman. Oh, okay. And uh, what have you done with uh, all of the papers and the tapes you use in preparation for the book? I still have all the notes. I plan on uh, depositing those as an extension to the Washington Family Papers at the Tennessee State Library and Archives. And some of the other genealogical information that didn't get to go in the book, I plan to write uh, another book on that. So there's a whole lot more out there that we can look forward to learning from you, what you've yes. gathered. Is that what you're saying? Well, I understand Correct. that there's an exhibit. So why don't you tell everybody about the new exhibit that just opened? Yes, uh, the Tennessee State Museum approached me uh, two years ago, and uh, they read my book, and that's what in, uh, inspired the exhibit. Uh, they felt that the amount of documentation available in the Washington Family Papers would be ideal for an exhibit. So it opened Tuesday, and it details life for African Americans and the white Washington family from 1796, uh, the year of its founding, uh, to shortly after the Civil War. So there's a lot of uh, original paintings, portraits. Um, there's tools that the slaves used, um, all types of stuff. It occupies 5,000 square feet. There's a recreated um, parlor of the mansion. There's a recreated slave cabin. There's even um, recreated tobacco barn with real tobacco in it since it was the largest tobacco plantation in America. There's a model of the plantation to scale down that represents um, 70 acres of the plantation so you can get a feel of how the land was. Like most plantations you see, like deep down south, the land's real flat, but western and somewhat hilly. So there's the main house and then there's, um, it's surrounded by slave cabins, so uh, the guy that did the models did an excellent job. There's a map of the uh, survey in the slave cemetery on the plantation, and um, there's um, reenactors that were videoed on the plantation in October. So uh, they have certain individuals from the plantation that's highlighted, so you can push a button and then the video comes on, and then you'll see a person. Uh, one is my great-great-great-grandmother, Jenny Washington, who was the first slave who's descendants can be traced there's a video on davy washington uh davy white washington he was the slave that uh continued to run away and was sold away from his family there's a video on him there's a video on the mistress of the plantation there's one of my great great grandfather emmanuel washington 
telling some of the kids on the plantation ghost stories. Uh, there's a video where President Obama is mentioning Mrs. Uh, Ann Nixon Cooper uh, in his acceptance speech. Um, Mrs. Cooper was raised by um, a former slave, and President Obama mentioned her for voting for him at age 106. And so, so is this exhibit. exhibit open Monday through Friday, or tell us the hours and the location? It's, because it sounds like okay, something that you know folks would want to organize tour groups to go to this exhibit. Sure. Uh, it's open from Tuesday through Sunday. The hours Tuesday through Saturday are from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and it's from 1 to 5 on Sundays. And it's located on 5th and Dedrick um, in Nashville, Tennessee. It's close to the Capitol building, the state Capitol building. Uh, it's uh-huh. the next block over. And it's in the uh, same building as the Tennessee Performing Arts Center. Okay. Sounds like it is a fascinating exhibit. Now, how have the Westington slaveholder descendants reacted to your book? Uh, the White Washington family has been very supportive of my research from the very beginning. Um, um, this I, I couldn't ask for any more help from them. Uh, some of them gave me copies of paintings, portraits. Uh, uh, one descendant, Stanley uh, Rose, donated funds to have a fence put around the uh, slave cemetery. Another descendant, um, Mary Washington Holly, donated funds to have a monument erected in the slave cemetery. So they've been uh, very generous with me uh, in, during the whole thing, the whole thing. And then, plus. Th- yes, and this is wonderful to hear that you've gotten the support uh, from the, the Westington family. Now, is Granville, your your ancestor, buried there on the Westington estate? Uh, no, Granville moved to Nashville um, in the 1890s, and he died there, and he's buried in Mount Ariat Cemetery in Nashville. He's not uh-huh. buried in Westington. He's not there. And now there's a, another question coming about uh, about the Slave Cemetery. Are there any plans to have a road made to get to the Slave Cemetery? Uh, the, uh, the Slave Cemetery is on private property, so I don't know about another road being I doubt that very seriously if uh, that would happen now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, John, would you give us, and, and this is to, to all of the people who have been listening, just uh, some tips uh, as far as your genealogical journey and what you've learned and what you can share with, with the listeners if they want to go on a similar journey that you have to not only document the history of your family but other families. I would say to start, uh, like I did, with the elders first because you never know how long they're going to be around. Uh, get their stories and um, document as much as you can. Record them if they will allow it. Um, unfortunately, when I was uh, doing this, I wasn't doing it as a project that ended up turning out to be a book. I was just really enjoying myself hanging out with older relatives and, and getting their stories. So I did not tape record the conversations, but um, I wrote them down after after the conversations with them. So I would say with all the technology we have today, to especially to record them, video them, and you know, whatever else to preserve this information, and then try to find supporting documentation for it. Mm-hmm. Try to find supporting documentation. Now, when, at what point would you reach out to a, a slave-owning family for documentation? Uh, um, you can go online and, and post things and state that you're a descendant of, uh, of a particular slave or surname, and a lot of people will respond to that. I had a gentleman in our, our county, and uh, he had a family Bible, and it recorded the births of slaves uh, that his ancestors owned, and he also had a photograph, and he said, I don't really know how to uh, contact any of these descendants. And so uh, I said, well, I'll take the information. I'm sure somewhere down the line somebody's going to contact me. And about two years later, a family approached me about tracing their genealogy, and then I made the connection. And so they were delighted, you know, to find the family Bible record with the exact dates of birth of their ancestors and also um, get a photograph. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as uh, you mentioned you had a database, what type of database or what database uh, did you use to input most of the, the 
information that you were gathering about the lineage, uh, the families that you were finding? Well, I have on the Family Tree Maker program every family that was uh, on Westington, and I have them um, as far back as the bills of sale from Westington, a couple of them before they came to Westington. And I have many of them traced forward to to the present time because many of these families have me to come and do presentations at their family reunions. And I do um, – I'm a calligrapher as well, so I do huge family trees with I'll start the earliest person I knew at Westington and bring it down to the present time. There's a family tree at the exhibit, and it spans about six feet wide, three feet tall, with uh, over 1,000 descendants going back to my great-great-great-great-grandparents. It spans 11 generations uh, and has over 1,000 direct descendants, and I've done this for several families that came from Westington. I also have a list of... um, Every slave that was at Westington is about 450 individuals. From the plantation doctor's records, I have a list of every slave that was ever treated uh, by the Washington's doctor, uh, Dr. Dunn and several others. I have a list of any slaves that ran away. I have a list of all the surnames of all the slaves there. I have a list of what type of names they, they had, if they were African, biblical, classical, if they were named after some of the Washingtons. I have that. I have another list that um, documents where all the slaves that I can track, where they went after they left Robertson County, which is the county that the plantation is in. Uh, I have a list of the men that enlisted in the Union Army and all types of information about them, their children's names, dates of birth, all that type of stuff. I have uh, a list of uh, slaves, um, when they married, what years they married, all that type of stuff. So I've got worlds and worlds of information on all of them. In fact, John, uh, there's a comment coming out of the chat room that states that you should have a John Baker Research Center. (laughs) It sounds like it, doesn't it? (laughs) It it really does. Now, how important is it to trace other plantation kinfolks with respect to understanding your particular line as well as plantation life itself? Well, I have researched every line of my family, and I've traced all the plantations here in in Robertson County, which some of them, of course, are not as large as Westington. But I have had a lot of success uh, doing that as well. And then there's a question, uh, how can uh, your list be accessed? You know, there, there are people listening. They want to know how they can get a hold of some of the information that you're speaking of tonight. Okay. If they're a descendant of Westington slaves, I have a website, and it's Westington, W-E-S-S-Y-N-G-T-O-N, Westington.com. And if they will email me and their ancestors came from Westington or they suspect they did, I will look through them and, you know, and contact them and, and share any information uh, that I have. And I'm also planning on taking this information and making a book so it will be preserved oh, for future generations. Wonderful, so that people can uh, get that. And, of course, there's the question, how can they reach you? And as you just said, through the uh, Westington.com uh, website. Well, any parting words, because you have really provided us with just the most intriguing aspect of of research and documentation and kind of the wish list of I wish I could and I wish I will and I can (laughs) one day have what you have. (laughs) Uh, But any parting words? (laughs) You're Um, right about that. You're right. Yeah, I'll be making several appearances at the exhibit, so I would be glad for anybody to come and – check out the exhibit and uh, it's a very detailed um, history of Westington so you get every aspect of slave life on the plantation okay well I certainly look forward to visiting the exhibit and meeting you and I guess getting my guided tour and I'm sure others feel the same way so thank you so much for Joining us tonight, and uh, there's a question, are you or when will you be coming to Virginia? I've always wanted to come to Virginia since that's where my ancestors came from. I don't know when I'll get to, but uh, I would love to go out there. Okay, and so you Virginians, invite him. (laughs) 
Okay. Just invite you. Okay. Send me an invite. I'll be glad to come sometime. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, everybody, Thank I want you. you to please join me next Thursday, February the 20th at 9 p.m. to hear Flight to Freedom, the Phil's Family and Freedom's Fortress. This is going to be a live reenactment. And, yes, it is in Virginia. We're going to wow. have Agena Kaysen Rogers, and she is just an impassioned interpreter of the African-American experience. And she's done this for her entire National Park Service career, and she is a proud descendant of Washington Fields and his wife, Martha Ann Fields, and their son, James A. Fields. And she now lives in Hanover County, where the family originated. We will also have Drusilla Pear, and she is a native of Newport News, Virginia, and she has been tracing her family history since 1994. Although she's not a descendant of the Fields family, she became very interested in researching the history of the Fields family after attending a presentation by Gregory Cherry, who shared how he acquired and restored the James A. Fields house. So please join us next week because you will not want to miss this live reenactment. So I want everybody to just have a great evening, and thank you so much, John F. Baker, Jr., for sharing your just fascinating research journey with us tonight. And please remember, everyone, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you shall follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. Thank you so much for joining research at the National Archives and beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want you to remember to listen to the African Roots podcast tomorrow night, as well as Nurturing Our Roots with Antoinette Harrell on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Thank you so much, and I'd like to just say thank you again, John Baker. Good night, everyone. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Bye-bye.